The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hi, this is Olivia Cook. And I'm Amber Daphne. And this is The Empowered Woman. Badass and unfiltered. My co-host Amber and I created this podcast to highlight the badass women we know and love. We did this with the goal of empowering women and supporting each other on the journey of life and business. We show women that they can still be a badass, make a difference in the world, leave a legacy, all while rocking their femininity. Olivia is a mindset coach and social media strategist who helps women organize, strategize, and automate their lives and businesses to grow and scale with ease. And Amber is a life transition coach, an expert whose mission is to help women realign with their purpose and pursue a life of passion and fulfillment. In this podcast, you'll hear amazing stories of inspiration and triumph from kick-ass women from all over the world. As Amber and I are both coaches, We also, from time to time, offer live coaching demos on the show where you get to be a fly on the wall and see how powerful coaching really is. Now let's dive in. Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered podcast. Co-host Olivia here with a very impressive guest. She is sharing her story of hitting rock bottom and climbing her way to the top. This episode is for anyone struggling with addiction or if you know someone struggling with addiction. And just a little fun fact about addiction in the United States, 19.7 million Americans suffered from a substance abuse issue in 2017. We can only imagine how many are battling with this issue right now. What we're going to share with you is for motivation. This is not about judgment. My guest's goal is to show others that no matter where they are in life, life isn't hopeless. You can change your life if you really want to. There's only one way out of rock bottom and that is up. I'm honored to share space with this woman and that has come, that has overcome so much. And thank you so much, Lori, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. So please just share a little bit about your journey. Um, well, let's see, where do we start? Um, I guess from the time I got into drug usage um, or kind of my backstory, what would you like to hear? I guess let's let's start with your backstory because a lot of people have a misconception that this could never happen to them because, you know, just if they lived a good, normal life, you know? Yeah. The ideal, perfect life. Um, yeah. So whenever I, I was six, my parents divorced and, um, once they divorced, of course they, you know, co-parented, they were great parents, um, even divorced. And, um, you know, I had a normal childhood, completely normal. We did, you know, things as family, even though my parents were divorced, we still did things as a family. Um, Anyways, and I ended up getting pregnant at 17 and I, um, you know, I think it's important to note that just because down the line, when you hear some of the story, you know, it'll kind of all fall together and make sense. But um, 
anyways, I got pregnant at 17 and, um, that was a blessing. And, um, of course, you know, having to tell my mom in the 11th grade, like, Hey, I'm pregnant. That was a little terrifying, a little scary, but, um, we made it through that. And, you know, when I say I had a, a great support system with family, it started with telling my mom that I was pregnant and her never telling me that, you know, what I did was bad. She never shamed me for it. Uh, she just, she loved me for it and she loved her grandson as well. Um, and then we kind of fast forward past that when my mom, you know, received the diagnosis that she had uh, terminal cancer and that's kind of where we get into drug usage. Oh, wow. So how old were you when you started, um, using drugs and like, what was your like drug of choice? You're going to make me do some math here. Let's see. <laughs> um, I was probably about 24. So, you know, not your Tina. In fact, I was very much against drugs, um, including anyone, any of my friends, if they smoked pot, I was like, nope, nope, we can't be friends. I don't want that in my life. So I was a, kind of a late bloomer in that. I was about 24 um, when I was introduced to my drug of choice, which was methamphetamine. Wow. And what, like the first time you did it, what was the, like, what, I guess, where were you when like you want, not, not specifically, but you know, what was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to try this out. And it just, you know, I met new friends after my mom passed away and um, I just kind of felt lonely without my mom. She was my rock. And um, in meeting new friends, it was just kind of the thing that they were doing. And um, I wanted to try it. And also did it because I wanted to lose weight. And, you know, that was a big, another contributing factor that sure didn't stop me. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll have all this energy and get skinny. And so that was kind of my mindset of where it was or where I was when that happened. And what are, I've never tried meth before. So like, what was like, what are some of the feelings? Like, what is, do they call them trips? Like, or is that just acid? I learned so much about drugs. I don't, it's, it's honestly kind of intriguing. So like, what does it feel like? Do you remember? Yeah. It's like this incredible burst of energy and you just, you feel like, I don't know, like he man, like you can take on the world and um, not that this is all a good thing, but this is just how it, you know, it made me feel. And I no longer was, I wasn't in my feelings anymore over losing my mom. Um, you know, it was always something in my mind. I can control this. I, I can deal with this, but it just, man, the energy and I can clean the house and not be hungry and, you know, stay up late and get up early if I went to bed at all. But it was mainly the energy burst and that, that attracted me to it. So it's like a lot of caffeine. If you're just doing like a lot of caffeine. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm trying to, cause I do way too much caffeine. I, <laughs> I haven't done that much today. Only like 130 milligrams, but still like it's, it's a thing. Um, so what you were just like a casual user at some point when you like met these friends and then when, like, when did the, when did it start to really just get bad? You know, I, I can't really pinpoint and tell you when it really got bad. It just got to where using on the weekends was not enough. Um, what it's kind of like anyone that has an addictive personality can relate to, you know, what's it going to hurt on Monday and what's it, you know what I mean? What, big deal. I can just do this before work and I'll have all this energy and go to work and then come home and try to be normal 
except you get home and you just know you have it sitting there. And it's like, I want more. It's just that more mentality. Yeah. It's like, it's like just a little bit, you know, like I'll, you, and it's like a battle with yourself. I almost feel like it's a battle with your subconscious mind as well, because I was thinking about addictive behaviors and just habits and stuff because I'm a vapor. I've been smoking since I was 18 years old and now I vape, but it's still one of those things that it's like, and I've always just told myself, well, I have an addictive personality. But when I started learning more about um, how your brain works and just how your habits are built, once you're doing something for a certain amount of time, it just kind of becomes a habit. So I don't even know if it's, I think that all humans have addictive personalities. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Cause at first I was like, I'm, you know, I'm cause my father, um, was addicted to crack cocaine and, um, he did a bunch of other stuff. And I mean, I've, I've smoked weed, but I've always been so scared because I was like, well, I have an addictive personality thinking like I can't, um, you know, control myself, but really everybody has one. And, and it's a way of like coping and, and figuring out how to get, stop the habit. So after you started becoming more of a regular user, when did that kind of like escalate quickly? What was the downfall of that? Well, you know, I think, I think what it comes down to is when I first tried it, I would, I would snort it. And then I was told, Hey, do you know that you can smoke this? And I was like, what do you mean? So then I was introduced to a different way. And, you know, I mean, I've tried it pretty much in every form and you can even put it in a capsule and take it like a peel. I did not like it like that. Cause I, if you had too much, you couldn't control it hits you later. Anyways, whole different story, but it just got to the point to where those, those highs were no longer significant. They, they didn't, they didn't give me the feeling that I had in the beginning. And I think with any drug user and maybe even an alcoholic that you're always chasing that first high that you first, you know, felt the very first time. Um, and mine went all the way into being a, a IV user. And that was a whole different ball game of high there. I mean, it was just different, but I loved it. And that that's the part that's awful to admit, but I did. I loved it. And I loved the high that um, using a needle gave me. I mean, I honestly appreciate your honesty. Like, this is what it's all about. Like, you know, it's like no one ever, and I'm, this is not to promote drug use. It's really just the, the honest truth of like, you know, because people, people don't understand that people aren't just doing, like, they just don't, it's not just bad people that fall into this and then they just do these bad things. It's like, there, there are things that people can relate to with this. Like, so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I am. Um... Absolutely. So how long did you use before you stopped using? I used, you know, I would say probably two to three years. And, and I say probably because all that at some point just kind of begins to flow together. I can tell you when I stopped. I can tell you the year that I stopped. Um, in fact, I could probably take that with my um, 24 years of age and <laughs> tell you uh, more precisely. But um, like I said, it would, I guess, maybe two and a half years, actually, when I'm thinking about the math on it. Um, and I'm sorry, you say your question again. So, well, that, ex well, now I have another one because like that escalated quickly. So like it went from like your mother passing away, you meeting the wrong people, and then it just becoming a habit. And it like you hit 
after like two and a half years, it's like, okay, done. like, this is, this is it. Well, uh, well, of course that, you know, I mean, that yes, you have all these trains of events that just kind of happened in that two and a half years, because just like it went from snorting to smoking to capsules to doing, you know, IV usage. Um, I don't know, even my position with just becoming just a user in that world, you know, I was a user and then I met people that had big mounts and I thought, well, I could sell a little and I became a dealer. And then I met other people and I'm like, oh, they're teaching me how to make this. So now I'm becoming kind of the top of the food chain, if you would say. Um, and now I'm cooking it and now I'm putting it in the hands of other people that are dealers and, you know, now it's just kind of a different little level as I walked through all that. And I did that in that two and a half years. That, I mean, if this was like a drug progression thing and like <laughs> you, you did that, like you, <laughs> you, you definitely, like, <laughs> you leveled up quick. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, no, but that's, that's crazy that, I mean, when you're motivated to do something, because then at, at that point, it's like, I don't want to pay for this anymore. Let me make it free, make it free. I feel like you, you probably use some of that like tenacity that you had back then in your business now. And oh, absolutely. All of this. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think, and I think in all the escalation, I think it's also important to remember that kind of in the beginning of this, that I did have a, a child at 17 mm -hmm. and um, in the midst of, you know, before, right after I wasn't just a weekend user, but I was just a user. I wasn't in the dealer step of this yet. You know, CPS came in and they took my son from me. You know, I think it's important to bring that kind of circle back to him that they took that from me and I believe, or they took him from me, but I believe that because they took him from my custody, although looking back now, like they did what they needed to do, but I progressed further into becoming a dealer and into becoming an IV user because I wasn't an IV user until after they took him. Um, and so it's kind of like, that was my whole reason for anything. And um, except it wasn't my reason to stop. Now, isn't that crazy to say? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, it sounds like, I mean, were you just angry with them? Like it wasn't at that point, I don't, were you even thinking like you were doing something like that wrong to him? Was it mostly just like, they're taking something away from you? Yeah, they're taking something away from me. It was never my fault. It was their yeah. fault. You yeah, know, I can own that now, but then I didn't own that. Yeah, so I that makes sense with you know how that would progress more because it's like you're not think like you're it wasn't you weren't owning it. So it's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, yeah, I, I did some stuff, but he's fine. So now they're gonna take my son away from me. Like, what what else do I have to live for? It, that's only me assuming. So please no, you, correct you me. Completely nailed it. No, you nailed it. That was, that's exactly it. What is, what do I, what do I have to live for? Who cares? Uh, you know, I had lost my son. And then after losing him, I lost my home. And then after that, I lost my car. I quit showing up to work. I, I mean, it just, I didn't care anymore. I no longer cared. And that's the crazy thing that he should have been my motivation, but he, it, it wasn't, it wasn't until later down the road that my motivation to stop kind of hit me. I'm so happy that it wasn't like that long though. Like it really, it wasn't that long of a battle in the grand scheme of things. It's just like a chapter. Right. It's a chapter in your life that you own. Um, 
but so like you, okay, you had them at 17, you started using at 24, you stopped using around 27. Um, and what was the thing that made you stop using? Well, you know, I had in, in the drug world, as I call it, I, um, I had met all kinds of people, but, um, I had some friends that were also in the drug world and they were murdered by other friends that were in the drug world. And so for me, it was the realization that that could have easily been me because I was friends with the ones that the couple that was murdered and I was friends with the two people that murdered the, the couple. And it was, it, it was just the weirdest thing to kind of be in that situation. But that was my eye opener. Sad to say, but that that's what it took for me to open my eyes. I mean, but I'm, I'm so happy that you did. Because uh, I am too. Because so many people don't like a lot of people live that life, you know, <laughs> like they're about that life. And when you're about that life, that's, those, those are certain the, some of the things that just happen. Um, and it's like it, people don't even. And th- this kind of reminds me of the Breonna Taylor situation, you know, just her being around it, you know, and yeah. them just being like, well, that's what happens when you live that type of life. And so yeah. it's like, kind of like excused. And so people don't necessarily wake up because they're not saying like, that's a problem. It's just like, well, that's just what you should expect. And so it's a blessing that you did wake up. And so it's been, it's been like a good 13 years, right? Since this has all happened. Let's see. I stopped in 2007. So uh, yeah, yeah, it has. And yeah. how, how was the whole recovery process of like really building yourself back up from that point? And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a easy road. And of course I had, you know, I had to just overnight up and move out of town and leave all my so-called friends because you learn in that world that your friends, uh, they're not really your friends unless you have drugs or whatever it is, then they're your friends. But the moment you don't, they're no longer your friends. So you know, with the murder and it's just kind of like that opening my eyes, I made a phone call to my grandmother and, um, I know she had a lot of doubt in me when I told her I was done with that lifestyle and I wanted to, you know, get away from it. But I'm fortunate enough that, um, she opened her door to me and I had to, the only deal was I had to leave everybody I knew, all my so-called friends, I had to leave them behind. I could not let them know where I was. Um, and just completely walk away from everything and come without drugs and no friends and just start my life over. And I'm fortunate that I had somebody that was willing to give me that chance because, you know, during my addiction, I I had stole my grandmother's credit card at one time and went on a shopping spree online. And, you know, she had every, every right to tell me no, but you, you know, she didn't. And I'm lucky for that. That's such a blessing. And it's such a good thing that you, you had the courage to at least just ask for help. So many people feel like they can't ask for help in that situation. Um, And I almost, I believe that you need someone to help you when you do hit rock bottom. Well, absolutely. You've got to have someone standing on the edge with their hand, you know, to pull you back up. And and it's not a, um, what is the word I'm looking for? I I can't think of the word, but it's not really a handout, but literally just a hand up. You know, that, and that's what I think everyone needs when they're standing on the edge and they're down at their lowest of points because 
again, I came from a family that drugs was ne- that that was never in my family. I was never exposed to that as a child um, or even as a teen. And so no one ever saw that coming from me. So I'm, you know, very fortunate that um, my family loved me enough to uh, give me that opportunity, that second chance. And I know that you lost custody of your son, but you also did gain custody back of him. So how, what was that process like? So the process was, um, I guess, I, I, you know, I, I kind of go backtrack back and forth. But when I was addicted, I had went to jail for criminal trespassing. And I had also went to jail for possession of chemicals with intent to manufacture. Uh, I was I went ahead and took the trespassing charge um, and I was given six months in county jail. So I, you know, had nice little six months of sobriety there. And even that didn't change me. It wasn't until a little further down the road. The murder is what changed me. But um, anyways, I still had a felony pending against me. And so when I moved to where my grandmother lived, I wanted um, to fight, you know, for my son back or fight to get my son back. And anyways, um, no one would take my case because I had the felony um, charge going against me. So I contacted my criminal defense attorney and um, he agreed to take my case. And, you know, part of the agreement to that was a, I had to show that I could support him and I had to be able to show that I could provide him with a home, with a bedroom, with food, all the things that you need, you know, to have children. And so I, six months from moving with my grandmother, I got my own apartment my grandmother helped me get a car and, uh, you know, took on his dad with my criminal attorney. And uh, just right before we went to court for the um, custody hearing, uh, the charges against me for the felony charge were dropped. Oh, and um, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why nobody wanted to, you know, take my case because they're like, well, what if she ends up in prison? What, you know, what's going to happen here? So, um, yeah, that was all dropped. And exactly one day from the day that I moved, my son was moving back in with me. I had full custody and full rides back. Oh my goodness. And that, that happened fast. And I know we talked before about your relationship with your son. And, um, do you want to share a little bit more about your son? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, to this day, he is 25 years old. He um, has a successful career. I've managed to be able to put him through college. And, um, you know, he has all rights to absolutely hate me as a parent. He does. Uh, You know, I was absent from his life for two and a half years or two years, however you want to look at it. And I didn't put him first. I put drugs in front of him. But at the same time, he always believed in me and he always absolutely loved me. And he always wanted to be back with me, you know, live back with me. And so whenever he moved back, another motivating thing to keep me clean was my son looked at me and he said, mom, if you ever go back to doing drugs again, I want nothing to do with you ever. And I, you know, I took him at his word and I still take him to his word. You're so like, I, it just, it's amazing to me how blessed you are in this situation because it could have been so much worse, but it, it's like, God was really looking out for you. And now you have your own business. Like you just, you paid off your car five and a half years early, like that you did yes. this year in 2020 when people are complaining yes. about a bunch of other stuff and you just bought another car cash and you, you told me something else too, but like, so you've done like so much in your life. So oh, it, I, 
I bought a house and land, cash as well. Yes. Like that's I, if that is motivation to anybody, I, it's it's definitely motivation to me because it's like yeah. no matter where you are in life, it, it depends on where you go and what you do. So, what are some of the um, tips that you would give someone listening to this right now that's in the situation of trying to rebuild their life? Uh, you know, you've got to you've got to find the what what your motivation is, and you know, it, if you have children, it should be your children. But again, in my case, that was not my eye opening thing. But don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I managed to get clean because I had the support of my family. I didn't go to a rehab, but um, if you need help, get help. I, I would love to add that um, my boyfriend is. Um, we've been together several years, but. He's an alcoholic and he had, he was drinking like 24 beers a day and uh, he would start at 9.30 a.m. And um, he, about three weeks ago, went to a medical detox. And so my point in bringing that up and he's been able to stay away from alcohol, it's, you know, that is his trigger. So I'm really careful. We, you know, no one drinks around him or anything like that. But my point in bringing that up is that he wasn't afraid to get that help. And if there's, you know, someone is out there and they're struggling and they they've lost their children or they've lost their family or whatever it is. You know, there's so many programs out there that will help you and they will help you at no charge. And, you know, so don't be afraid to ask for help. And it's really up to you. It's whenever you're ready to make those changes that you'll truly make them. Yeah. I, I think it's also important from what I'm gathering from this is not to give up on yourself. Yes, absolutely. You are totally worth, you know what I mean? You're worth it. Yeah. And I've met so many people in the drug world that their parents, their, uh, they, their punishment was to take away their meth. And that just blows my mind. And, but there are people out there that never get out because that's all they've known their entire life. And then there are people that go, you know, I'm, I don't want to be like my family. I don't want to be like my parents and they completely take a different path. But if you find yourself coming from something like that, you can change. Don't ever use the excuses that that's how I grew up or, you know, that's just the way that I was raised or this is what we do because it doesn't have to be that way. I love that, Lori, because you know what? We're not doing excuses. No excuses for 2020. No excuses for any reason of why you can't. Yes, we all have setbacks in life. Yes, we all have like things, but we're, we're not going to make excuses for why we can't make changes in our lives. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm no longer blame everyone else for things. I always look at a situation and I go, what, you know, where is my fault in this? What, what could I do to make things better? And that's kind of my turnaround from getting clean is that I don't judge others when they have a problem or an issue or an addiction that, you know, how can I help you? How can I support you? How can I give you that hand up? How did you, um, when did things start I'm not going to say easy, but when was it not as hard when you were rebuilding your life? Like how long did that process take? And I know it's different for every person, but. Um, you know, I just have to say that when I moved to a new town, several hours away, I didn't know anyone to be able to get drugs. So for me, that was, uh, easy, easier to stay on the path. Cause I could have never done it in my hometown. There's no way I could have done it, but and as time went on, it just became, I didn't want to know those people. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to know anyone that would sell drugs to me. I didn't want 
to have influences like that in my life. So, you know, for me, it was it just moving out of town is what made it kind of easier for me. Change of scenery is huge. Um, I'll share a little bit about my story. When I was the year, when I was 20, my father passed away and I was in a relationship with an, like, we would fight way too much, like physically fight. Like he would be extremely controlling. And um, at that point I wanted to move to Texas. I was like, I need to move five States away. My dad died. Like my, my mom and I we're a lot closer now, but we're still like, I'm so different. I'm so much energy. I'm so I'm a lot. And she is like chill and relaxed and like a hippie. And I'm just, we, we grieve with things differently. I just, and I, I just wasn't understanding it. And I wasn't talking to them. I, I isolated myself in work and my horrible relationship. And um, I didn't leave my ex until my mom was like, you deserve better. Like you just deserve so much better. And I cried and I was like, all right, I, I will. Like I left and then I, but I was so sure that I wanted to leave, but then just moving for me, like 30 minutes away and just changing my scenery made my life so much different. And um, it really, it, it so much is the people that you spend your time with and where you are that you're like your surroundings that make your life. There's other things as well, but those are two important factors that I feel like people leave out. Oh, absolutely. I think so as well. Um, you know, for me, 30 minutes wouldn't have been close. That wouldn't have been far enough away. Because I it's easy for me to get, but changing the, you're right. Cause completely changing the whole scenery. And um, I don't know, it gives you maybe a different view on things, a different view on life. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because it exposes you to more things. Like since, since then I've lived in, I've lived in four different States, but yeah, it, it really, I, and I, for me, if I, if I was like trying to get away from a weed man, I <laughs> like, like I would have to be real far. <laughs> real far. So I understand that. Like, yeah, to not, to not find something that you want. I feel like, it's harder to find meth than it is to find weed. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, but then again, I've never looked for it. So I, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I feel like the people are the same pretty much everywhere you go. They just have different accents and different background, like different backgrounds, but there's like the same type of personalities everywhere. And there's the same like look and smell of certain things everywhere you go. Like weed smells like weed everywhere. You know? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> no, I mean, I I want to just. I'm not going to take too much more of your time, but I want to just thank you so much for sharing your story and like, and like, I feel so much better having this conversation because so many people um, have such a stigma around drug use and everything, but this is something that is a real thing in our society, and I don't think we should be shunning people anymore. Um, I think we should lift them up and help them get out of their current situations and treat them like people because we are people like everybody goes through stuff just because it's not the same thing that someone else might go through. It, it We still have our own stuff, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, before I walked in the shoes of, um, you know, all my different drug hats there, um, I would have been very judgmental and looked down upon someone like me. And now I don't at all. I think that maybe, and, it, and this may sound crazy, but I think that I had to walk that path in life to understand what others are going through and to not cast judgment, but to be that hand that can stand on the edge and say, here, let me give you a hand. Let me help you up. 
I love that. And because you're helping so many people like you right now, you just, just sharing the story is helping so many people. And I know that it's big to you to help others and be a contributing member to society and like myself as well. So I love that you were able to, no matter like what happened in your past, you still are a contributing member to society. And I'm just, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me and letting me tell my story. And again, I just, I hope that it helps someone It may, you know, if someone's struggling through addiction, no matter what it is, reach out for that help. If that's what you need, if you have to move several towns and several hours away, don't be afraid. Do it. Absolutely do it. Yes. And it will get better. Your, yes, your, your proven story that it gets better. And yes, yes I love it. it. Can. <laughs>